I'm Caleb. I'm the student pastor here. So prepare for a lot of, you know, child references and illustrations. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Okay, y'all going to have to lighten up this morning because I'm already scared to death of being up here. So help a brother out, you know what I'm saying? All right. <clears throat> so the Beatitudes are a teaching of Jesus that describe those who are blessed. Some may choose to see the Beatitudes as a prescriptive list of things that we should check off in order to be blessed. But if we're considering the whole counsel of God's Word, then we will see that the Beatitudes, they contain phrases that apply only to those who are saved when we look at the whole of Scripture and what is taught. And so if the term blessed refers to the supreme grace of salvation, which I believe that it does, then a prescriptive view of the Beatitudes would wrongly lead us to say that a person could work themselves into a reflection of the Beatitudes and therefore be saved or be blessed. So then, for this morning, it's important for us to establish this understanding that the Beatitudes describe those who are saved rather than prescribe a checklist for how we can be saved. In the Beatitudes, God is reorienting the perspective of His people so that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we can know that we are blessed, not because of what we have done, but because of what God has done. And while this statement is definitely true in every other Beatitude, perhaps in this Beatitude it's most evident. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Before we dive into the depths of this scripture, I want us to pray. Father, I come to you this morning unworthy. I stand here this morning with an opportunity to, to speak on what you have taught us in your word about being pure in heart and knowing that in my own heart, Father, I am broken, I am sinful. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that we would all find comfort in knowing that it is in Christ we find our ultimate purity. Soften our hearts this morning to hear your word. Father, even as I speak these words, Lord, let it transform my life. I pray that each of us would walk out of here today desiring to follow you with a pure heart, glorifying your name everywhere that we go. Father, give me strength this morning to, to speak these words. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this verse can be divided up into three parts. First part would be the what, then the who, and then the why. So the what is the first word. Blessed. And as has been discussed before in previous messages, blessed is very closely related to the word happy, or as Jimmy has mentioned, flourishing. Some other words that would work here are words like fortunate and well-off. So when looked at in the context of the whole of Scripture, I would state that this word finds its ultimate, deepest meaning in the context of salvation. Because that is the ultimate supreme blessing of God, no matter who you are. Next is the who which are the pure in heart. In this phrase, there are two words that are worth our time and study that we definitely don't want to skip over. 
We want to try to understand these things so that we can understand what the Lord is giving to us this morning. We're going to begin with heart. In my, in my study of this passage, I leaned a lot on John MacArthur's commentary of Matthew chapters 1 through 7. He says this, Throughout Scripture, as well as in many languages and cultures throughout the world, the heart is used metaphorically to represent the inner person, the seat of motives and attitudes, the center of personality. But in Scripture, it represents much more than emotion or feelings. It also includes the thinking process and particularly the will. By the word heart alone, we have to confess that we're not looking at something on the outside. We're not looking at something that is superficial. We're going far beyond that, far beyond the measurement of our peers. For who can know the heart of a man like this? Who can know the heart of a man except God alone? I would even argue that God knows my heart better than I know my heart. And so we're not dealing with things on the outside. So we can rule out any interpretation of this verse that might say, blessed are the pure in heart based on the judgment of their friends or family, the perspective of their peers. That would be an incorrect understanding of this. And this brings us to ask the question, what is the standard for purity? In this world, there are many people who determine their goodness based on how they stack up next to somebody else who may be deemed worse than themselves on the world scale. And if, we, if this were the right way to do it, then we would all be comparing ourselves to the worst, ugliest, most gruesome, nasty person you can find in the world. And I don't know about you, but I'm not one who wants to stand up and say, well, I'm better than Hitler, so I made it. It makes no sense. What if we judged a restaurant's cleanliness based on that scale? I wouldn't be eating out. <laughs> if five stars means, well, it was only roaches, it wasn't rats. Yeah, we have a problem with that. We want the standard for cleanliness in a restaurant to be held at such a place that restaurants have to reach for it. You don't see restaurants with a score of 100. You see them with a score of 95, 96, 98, which is good. But it's not perfect in the eyes of, you know, whoever's judging all of that stuff. And so this is where we find purity from Scripture. And that is in God himself. God is the ultimate standard for purity. Another word that we can use for God's purity is just the simple fact that He is holy. He's perfect, lacking in nothing, 100% pure. And this is a purity that we are incapable of achieving on our own. We don't have the ability. Why? Because our actions are not enough. It's not, I don't just have to convince you. I have to, I have to convince God. God's standard for purity goes beyond the facade of our outward performance to the hidden place of our motives and the thoughts between one action and the next. I'll say that again. God's standard for purity goes beyond the facade of our outward performance to the hidden place of our motives 
and the thoughts between one action and the next. Before the Lord, we are splayed completely open. He sees all of us. He sees all that we are, all that we've ever thought. And so it's not just actions. He knows that even those of us who are on the best of our behavior are not perfect. Our purity is not about who we appear to be in front of others, but who we are before the Lord. It's not about how someone else sees you in this world. It's not about how many people can I get to say I'm a good person. It's about how does God see you. So the remaining part of this verse answers the question why. More specifically, why are the pure in heart blessed? Because they shall see God. In preparation for this message, I came across John Piper's teaching on this beatitude. He offered three definitions for what it meant to to see God. And I want to lean on those here. The first one is to be admitted to his presence. Now, we could compare this to what it's like for you and I to have a relationship with a doctor. If you get sick or you you break something, you call the doctor's office to make an appointment. And you know what you're not asking for? You're not asking him to drop his best headshot in the mail and send it to you. You you don't just want to see his face. You don't want to just schedule a, a time for you to drive by so that you might catch a glimpse of him or her. You want to go and be in the presence of the doctor. Because in the presence of the doctor, the doctor can diagnose you with with the wisdom they have, the knowledge they have about all that stuff that's going on with you, and help you to get better. And so, it is with God. When we are admitted to His presence, it is not some distant, far away thing, but some really close encounter. Which brings me to the next definition that he gives us. Which is to be awestruck by his glory, by a direct experience of his holiness. I want to consider Job's response to the presence of God in Job chapter 42, verses 5 and 6. It says this, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So every time we read from the Word of God, we encounter God. He is revealed to us. Every time we are provided for, doesn't matter if it's the big things or the small things, we see God's provision for us. How awesome would it be the next time that you sit down to have a meal just to take a moment, even if it's just a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? And let's just back up for a minute and think about the fact that that all those ingredients had to be grown somewhere. Somebody somewhere had to put all those things together. The bread had to be baked, the, the jelly made, peanut butter made. And then you had to have the money to go to the store to buy the things to make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which means you had to have a job. In every moment of life, in every breath of life, there's so much that we miss out on. So much that God has done for us, just in the little moments. I'm not perfect at this. I'm not telling you this because, hey, look at what I do. I definitely do not do that. I do not look at a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and start, you know, 
getting crazy. I should. I should be praising the Lord. But I think that's the vision for all of us. Shouldn't we strive to see the little things in life and see how God has provided for us, what God has done for us? And it's not just His provision. It's seeing His mercy, His grace in this life. What would happen if we all sought to be awestruck by His glory? When we come to His Word, to be awestruck by what we find of Him. So the pure in heart will be awestruck by His glory. Piper's third definition of seeing God is to be comforted by His grace. Now any moment, any amount of time that we might get in the presence of God is grace upon grace upon grace. We do not deserve the presence of God, but God has provided a way for us to experience who He is. That is a powerful thing. Piper writes, If God shows His face, we are helped. If He turns His face away, we are dismayed. So why are those who are pure in heart blessed? Because they shall be in God's presence in awe of who He is and comforted by His grace. So I want to reiterate as we continue on that Matthew 5.8 is a description of someone who is reborn into faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It is a description of His church, His bride. So I want to connect some dots. There are a couple different types of purity that we can tease out and talk about, and uh, I believe that these are beneficial for us understanding who God is and who we are in Christ. These titles come from John MacArthur. He mentioned six things. I'm just going to talk about three of them. And the first one is what MacArthur calls primal purity, which is the purity that is found in God alone, which is God's holiness, which we've talked about pretty pretty well up to this point, so I'll go to the next one, which is positional purity. It's the purity that is attributed to a believer at the very moment they are born again. Do you realize that when you believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you are reborn, you're given a new nature? That what Christ has done for you is sealed for you. That positionally, if you died today, Because of Christ, not because of you, you would be counted pure because of what Christ has done. That's an amazing thing. This is where much of our hope as followers of Christ comes from. This brings us to the next one here that says, Uh, Practical purity, we might call it sanctification. It's the daily striving to become more like Jesus in attitude and action. You're welcome, Jimmy, if you're listening. That's a part of our church. Uh, What's that? That's the vision statement, right? I think so. I think so. We repeat it every every Monday, or no, Tuesday morning now because we've moved staff meeting. But it's biblical. Practical purity, sanctification. Every day, striving to be more like Jesus. 
repenting of the things that are unholy, that are unrighteous, and dying every day in order to follow the Lord. So positional purity acknowledges who we are, while practical purity acknowledges who we are becoming. Practical purity takes place as we submit ourselves to God's word and we cling to him daily. In John 17, 17, we get to see a glimpse of Jesus' prayer over his disciples and he prays that they would be sanctified in the truth. He goes on to define that and says that your word is truth. So we need God's revelation of himself in order to see the areas of our life where we need to repent. We need the word in our life to seek this purity. Practical purity acknowledges God's sovereign power through prayer. We admire and we praise God for who He is. Adoration, if you studied the Acts prayer method with us. We confess our faults before Him. We thank Him for every breath, for every moment that He has given us, knowing that it is all purposeful and ultimately good. Because He's making all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We bring our cares, we bring our needs, our desires to Him because we acknowledge that His ways are higher, His wisdom is perfect, and His will is the ultimate goal. In short, practical purity is the singular, undivided focus on glorifying God with every fiber of our being. I want to say that one more time. Practical purity is the singular, undivided focus on glorifying God with every fiber of of our being. Will we be perfect in it? No. And that's why Jesus had to take our place on the cross. But it's no reason for us not to seek practical purity in our life. I want to tie all this together by answering a very important question, which is how can I be made pure before God? We're going to read a bunch of scripture. It's all on the screen, so don't feel like you have to flip with me or anything like that. But I would appreciate if you would read along with me or or follow along with me. We're going to start in John 3, verse 3. Jesus is confronted here by a Pharisee named Nicodemus, and the conversation goes like this. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit of God. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
and skipping down to verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You must be born again. How can I be made pure before God? You must be reborn. Moving on, another chunk of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so we see here that we must be washed. We must be born again. We must be washed. One of my favorite set of scriptures, Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you must be revived. So the question is, what revives us? What washes us? How are we born again? It is the power of God as seen through belief in the gospel. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.18, saying, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, It is the power of God. So the important question today, when considering purity, is do you believe? I want to close with James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. 
I close with this in order to help us understand a couple of things. One, saving faith is evidence of a new heart. When we show our faith by our works, we are displaying an inward transformation. It's a new creature with a new nature that's bent on pleasing God. Number two, you cannot have positional purity without practical purity and vice versa. It's a package deal. It's transformation. It's rebirth. It's a new creation. Both are byproducts of a new life in Christ. And so my prayer today is that God would be so gracious to us all that we would love him, that we would glorify him, not just through our words, but through every deed. Every breath we have is a gift. And I pray that every breath would be an opportunity that's taken captive for the glory of God. For the purpose of making God known. Again, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what is the gospel to you this morning? Is it folly and foolishness? Or is it the power of God? Do you believe? Believe in the gospel and be transformed. Believe in the gospel and be made pure. Believe in the gospel and see God. Believe in the gospel and be blessed. At this time, we're about to pray and the band's coming up to lead us in a final song. At a time that we get to respond to this. Some of us, we believe. We've been walking with the Lord for some time now. And maybe today the message was about practical purity for you. Or maybe you needed to hear about your positional purity in Christ. The grace and the mercy that is there. I want to challenge all of us, no matter where you are on that spectrum, that we would all walk out of here seeking to glorify God for who he is and what he's done in us and that we are pure because of Christ. And then secondly, just as scripture tells us that we love God because he first loved us. I pray that we leave this building and we are loving the Lord, that we are seeking to live a practically pure life to glorify God and to make him known, to love him as he has called us to love him. And for those of you this morning who may, maybe you have not believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, my prayer is that if the Spirit is moving in you to believe, that in being transformed, you would not just see this positional purity, but you would see practical purity in your life. As a church, for those of you who are sitting here today, and it has crossed your mind a few times that you want to follow Jesus, 
because you believe that He is who He says He is. Because you believe that He is the only way to real purity, not just now, but into eternity. This is a place where we are seeking to join with you. The church is called to be the body of Christ for one another. And that we're holding each other accountable to this practical purity. We're holding each other accountable to living for the glory of God. And if today you can say that I believe in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, that he died to take away my sins and that my life is owed to him. Come find a pastor, someone you trust, and let's talk. During this time of response, maybe it's a prayer. So I'm going to ask that you stand with me as we pray, as we enter this time of response. Father, It truly is no one like you. I stand here this morning feeling inadequate to even begin to speak about purity just based on the experience of my own life and knowing that if it were not for you, Father, I would be absolutely nothing. I am broken, filthy, apart from the righteousness. Christ. I pray that every child of God in this room today would glorify you for the transforming work of salvation that you've done in each of us. Give us the grace needed to respond to you in love and repentance. For those, Lord, who, who you are calling to yourself, Lord, I thank you and I praise you because you are a God who saves. Thank you for your grace and mercy this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name.